I'm sure that many of you have read or watched on TV or at the, the cinema books or movies or TV programs about spies and about secret agents. A few months ago, we watched the Ipcris file or the remake of it on ITV. And it was one of those stories full of people who were trying to look as if they were leading a normal life and they were disguising their secret world. Well, Thyatira was a church that was leading a double life. On the face of it, it looked like a perfectly normal, functional church doing the things that churches tend to do. But beneath the surface, it was hiding a very dark secret. There were activities taking place within the life of this church that were completely dishonoring to God. And of course, all of this was not a secret to the Lord of the church, to Jesus Christ. He was the one who writes this letter, and he wanted these people to be sure that nothing could be kept hidden from him, as he wanted his church to be brought into line. Today, we come back to the book of Revelation again. We come to the fourth and the middle letter in this series where we're looking at these seven letters that appear in Revelation chapters 2 and 3, letters that were written to seven congregations in a specific part of the world at this time, in the region of Asia Minor, probably in around modern-day Turkey. And yet letters that came from the Lord Jesus Himself, so that this book of Revelation was a vision that John, one of the disciples of Jesus, one of the apostles had while he was on exile on the island of Patmos. Let's be sure that these are the words of the Lord Jesus to this church. And more than that, because this appears in God's Word, this letter that we're thinking about today, all of these letters tell us what Jesus wants His church to be like at all times and in all places. And so, when you think about that, this letter that we're reading today, these letters that we're considering over these weeks are telling us what the Lord Jesus wants the congregation of Connor to be like here in the year 2022. This is very relevant indeed. And this particular letter, if you look at your Bible again and you turn up the, the final part of Revelation 2, this particular letter is addressed to a congregation in a city called Thyatira. It was a major trading center. It produced and then exported ceramics and textiles. In fact, if you looked in your Bible at Acts chapter 16, one of the converts of Paul's ministry that you read about in Acts 16 is a lady called Lydia, who was a businesswoman described by Luke as a seller of purple. So she was engaged in the business of textiles, and she came from the city of Thyatira. And because it was a business city, it was therefore a materialistic city. And that makes this so relevant to us. After all, we live 
in an, incre in an incredibly materialistic society. We lead materialistic lives. So what does the Lord Jesus Christ say to the church in Thyatira? Well, I want us to look very quickly at the four things that the Lord Jesus tells the church. And then at the end, I want to really briefly reflect on some things that strike me about this particular passage and this series of letters that we have been thinking about so far. The Lord Jesus begins by saying, be sure of who I am. He's telling these believers in Thyatira, be absolutely clear as to my identity. And more than anything else, he wants these believers, he wants this church to know that they can't pull the wool over his eyes. So let's take a closer look at what Jesus reveals about himself in this letter and what that means for us here in church today. He identifies himself in verse 18 as being the Son of God. Now, that's a basic truth that we believe and that we know as believers in Christ in the church today. We almost take that belief for granted. We just say, yes, Jesus is the Son of God. But let's consider the implications of that, what that actually means for us in our lives and how we should respond to the Lord Jesus Christ. Understanding that He is no mere man, that He is God's Son, and He Himself shares in God's divinity, that He is God, that changes everything about how we look at Jesus and think about Jesus and respond to Him. The fact that He is Son of God means that Jesus is deserving not only of our worship, which we bring Him today, He is deserving of our full attention. And He wants them to know that He is well-placed to watch over them, that as the Son of God, He sees what is going on in His church. And it's this idea of Jesus keeping a watch of his church that comes out in this verse, verse 18. He's also described, or he also describes himself as the one whose eyes are like blazing fire. And it's this sense that Jesus has this penetrating vision that he sees deep within people's hearts. He can see deep within his church, and he can see exactly what's going on. as this particular congregation would have received those words, they would have been comforting words. Jesus sees the struggles that we're having, but they would have also, for many in that church, been cautionary words. Jesus sees what we're up to. He knows exactly what we are doing behind closed doors. And that's the thing that Jesus tells this congregation like all of the other congregations that he writes to in this book, he says in verse 19, I know, I know what's going on. So that later in the letter, he brings these chilling words to some of those in the congregation. He says, I will deal with your sin in such a way that, verse 23, then all the churches will know 
that I am He who searches hearts and minds, things that are unseen by all other people, and I will repay each of you according to your deeds. People, this is something that we need to know as a church. Our Jesus, our Lord, our Savior, He is omniscient. He is all-knowing and all-seeing. Nothing escapes His attention. And I don't know about you, but I find that really humbling. In fact, I find that frightening. And it compels me to seek God's grace once again. Jesus sees. He knows. What does He he think of you? What does He think of your life at this time? And what does He make of this congregation and all that goes on within it? And those are important questions for us to face up to because we need to be sure this Jesus is no pushover. Look at how He describes Himself at the end of verse 18 as the one whose feet are like burnished bronze. And it's an image that conveys that Jesus is powerful, that He is the judge of this whole world and every single person in it. Jesus says, be sure of who I am. But then He goes on to say, be encouraged by your improvements. There are things that please Jesus as He looks on at the church in Thyatira. He sums them up in verse 19. He says, I know your deeds, your love and faith, your service and perseverance, and that you are now doing more than you did at first. And the key phrase there is the final part of the verse, you are now doing more than you did at first. So, he praises these Thyatiran believers because they are moving forward. They are going on in their Christian life. And that's what all of us should want to hear from Christ about us. There should be progression in the Christian life. It's not just a case of trusting in Jesus, being saved, and that's it, full stop. The Christian life involves discipleship. It involves growth. It involves a journey to become more and more like our Lord and Savior Jesus. It involves Christ-likeness. Are you looking any way like Christ at all? Am I? But there are things that the that the Thyatiran church are doing well. If we think about what Paul says in that great love is passage in 1 Corinthians 13, he says in verse 13, he talks about the three characteristics of Christian life, faith, hope, and love. And all of them seem to be present in abundance within this congregation. And what does all of this lead to? their faith, their hope, their love. Well, I want you to see that it leads to action. The faith in Christ that these believers possess is not just something that they think about and talk about. Jesus tells them, I know your deeds, your service. And I believe that to be such a vital truth that the Lord Jesus would want us to know as a congregation at this time. That to be effective as a church, 
we need to be an active church. But my fear for this congregation, like all of the congregations that I've been involved in, is that there are far too many spectators. There are too many people, and for them, church is one hour a week or maybe at a push two hours a week, but that's really it. I wonder, do we have that concept of what it means to be disciples who are serving our Lord and Savior Jesus? He was able to praise this church in Thyatira. He said, you are now doing more than you first did. Well done, good improvement. And I wonder, is the Lord Jesus looking for the same improvement in our place, in our congregation? Not that more would be done by the same group of people, but that more would be done by an ever wider circle of believers. That's why I was so encouraged on Tuesday evening when I went to the Holiday Bible Club meeting. There's a big buzzword today in churches, intergenerational. Things should be intergenerational. It just means people of all ages. And on Tuesday night, we were able to see people of all ages gathering together. But of greatest encouragement, a new generation of Christians in this church stepping up and wanting to be involved. It would be great to think that as we attempt to offer hope, the hope of the gospel to our community, that Jesus would be able to say of our witness here in Connor, you're now doing more than you first did. But then third, Jesus says to these Christians in Thyatira, be warned because there is a very serious problem in this church. And he wants these believers to be sure that he is looking on, that he sees right into the situation. Here's the problem that Jesus outlines in verse 20. He says, nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. So it appears that a woman had gained a position of influence within the fellowship, and her lax teaching and lifestyle were leading many people astray. It's unlikely that she was actually called Jezebel, but this, we presume, is a reference back to the Old Testament and to the wicked Queen Jezebel, the Queen of Ahab, who led God's people astray and led them into idolatry. But what about this woman in the congregation in Thyatira? What was the damage that she was doing? Well, she claimed to be a prophetess. She was saying, I'm bringing to you God's word, but the message that she was bringing was anything but the true word of God that these people received from the Old Testament and from the teaching of the apostles. So that she told people it was all right to engage in idol worship and eat the meat sacrificed to pagan temples, and even to engage in the sexual exploits that often accompanied such feasts and ceremonies. And so time was running out 
for this woman. The Lord Jesus says, and these are sobering words, verse 21, I've given her time to repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling. So I will cast her on a bed of suffering, and I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely unless they repent of her ways. I will strike her children dead. Those are really strong words, maybe words that some feel uncomfortable with, but the very words of the Lord Jesus. We think of him as gentle Jesus, meek and mild, but Jesus is the judge of all, and here he takes decisive action for the good of his church as a warning to the church as a whole. So that, as he puts it in verse 23, the churches will know that I search hearts, that I repay each according to their own deeds. The Lord Jesus is stressing that he is perfectly holy and that the holiness of his disciples, his followers, is so important to him. And as we read these words today, it compels us to seek the grace of God. Oh, if we're unwilling to repent, the danger that there is for you today, if you are unwilling to repent, to turn away from your sin, and to, in, in humility, seek the grace of God in Christ, and the importance for us as a church to live the way God would have us live, to live in a way that's honoring to Jesus, to not be a church that is somehow leading a double life. But the Lord Jesus finishes by saying, be sure to stick it out because there are faithful people in his church and he wants them to hold on till he returns. And I want you to see that again, once again, the encouragement that Jesus brings to his church is an encouragement related to eternity, that the thing that he wants these believers to understand and see is that eternal perspective, that eternal timetable, that what they're going through is just for a season, that the suffering that they're enduring is simply a moment in the timetable of eternity, and that for them the results of persevering will be so worth it, verse 26, to him who overcomes and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. Jesus is saying, you will share in my reign over creation. Verse 28, I will also give him the morning star. And what an honor for those who are Christ's, that he would allow us to share in his victory and his dominion at the end of time. What grace that the people like us, sinful people, would be included. And are you included? It's found in Christ. And I hope that this spurs on believers here today. It is tough. It's difficult to live as a disciple. And sometimes we feel that we're such a minority. We feel everybody else, they're not interested. But why should I hang in there? Because of all that the Lord Jesus promises in His Word. 
Do you have that eternal perspective today? Because it helps us to maintain our witness in tough times. It helps us to overcome temptation. As Satan, and it feels like this sometimes, bombards us with suggestions that could throw us off course. So as we finish very, very briefly, a few things that strike me about these letters that we have been reading. The first is the Lordship of Christ. Yes, Jesus is the good shepherd. He's the one who's not ashamed to look upon his followers as brothers. That's amazing grace. But the incredible lordship of Christ, that he is Lord over all creation, that all things are by him and for him. And have we lost sight of that in the church? Have we tamed down Jesus to our version of Jesus? He is the Lord and the judge of all. The second thing that strikes me is the importance of deeds, that deeds are mentioned so much by the Lord Jesus. And of course, as good Reformed believers, we stress that we are not saved by works. We are saved by God's grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That is so true. But that does not make works unimportant. The stress in Scripture and the stress in these letters is, I know what you are doing. Your deeds count for so much. And are we striving to serve the Lord, to work hard for Him individually and as a church? And the final thing that strikes me about these letters is that it reminds me that there is no such thing as the perfect church. Here are congregations getting so much right, doing so many things well, and yet congregations that are deserving of Jesus' rebuke, as our congregation is. So when is the right time? Or what are the right circumstances to leave a church when we feel discontent about it? Or when we feel that things are not exactly the way we would want them to be? Probably we are too quick to depart from churches. And all the way through my ministry, I have heard people criticize the church, the church at large, or criticize the congregation that I've been minister of when they've had their moment of opportunity. And sometimes much of that criticism has been understandable. It's actually been correct. I know that I'm far from perfect. But I have to say that in my ministry, most of those that I've heard criticizing the church have done so because simply they do not love it. But whenever the Lord Jesus rebukes his church, be sure of this, he rebukes his church because he loves it so much. He loves you so much. He loves us so much. After all, he gave up his life for us. And these are not just words for Thyatira or Ephesus or Smyrna or Pergamum 2,000 years ago. Folks, these are words for us. He or she who has an ear, let him or her hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Amen.